slipped. Cords will be fine. Polyp gone. Lungs unaffected. Time to start again. You can do it. And yes, music would help. My iPod's in my study. You know how to put new tracks on it. Yes, Mum. I know how to use an iPod. Julie seems annoyed, though trying not to be. She's no longer a baby, Terry reminds herself. She's eighteen, finishing school, discovering sex with Alistair, thinking she'll be young forever. What do you want? Terry writes, My own Mozart, The Marriage of Figaro, to keep me sane, and Varia Petrovna's new album, Angel of the North, to see what the bitch is up to. Are you sure? Julie's forehead crumples upwards under the wisps of dark hair, as it always does when she's puzzled. With a rush of tenderness, Terry understands that her daughter is concerned on her behalf. After all, she's asking to hear a CD of the woman who's become the biggest threat to her work and her sanity for donkey's years. It isn't Terry's fault that a nubile Russian starlet has a similar type of voice to hers and is eyeing the same lyric-dramatic soprano repertoire. She's still astonished to think that she's managed to create and raise a young woman who has the sensitivity to worry about such things. How did she ever deserve a daughter like Julie? Back in the Gorbals, she'd never dreamed she would one day be singing in the world's top opera houses and bringing up a beautiful, intelligent and gifted girl whose energy lights up her world even when she's 6,000 miles away. Love you, my angel, she writes. She'd look like Julie once, with the same shaped eyes as round as ripe grapes, though Julie's a warm brown, not turquoise. Terry's hair had been gold, not chocolate like Julie's, and back then, naturally blonde. Today, it receives its colour for a large fee at a West End salon. Julie jokes that her mother goes there for resprays. Because of Julie, Terry doesn't mind middle age. She'd been far happier in her forties than in her teens anyway. Then she turned fifty. The day after her birthday, she found herself repeatedly trying to clear her throat. She'd blamed her party, thought nothing of it, then set off for the airport and Carnegie Hall. I'll bring your iPod along first thing in the morning, Julie says. As long as you're not late for school. I won't be late. I'll get up extra early. Julie rolls her eyes heavenwards. Christ, thinks Terry. Can't I do anything right? Love or none, there's only one thing on the humanity planet thornier than fathers and sons, and that's mothers and daughters at each other's throats. What's the joke, Mum? Terry smiles, then writes... A private pun that I couldn't have made up if I'd tried. Go home and get some rest. Julie makes her way down a staircase and through shiny corridors lined with arty photographs of trees. This hospital is devoted to patients with private health cover. On one hand, she's convinced, along with Alistair and his mother Sue, that private health care is designed to close the NHS by stealth running it down until nobody dare use it any longer, and everyone will have to fork out huge sums for insurance instead. Yet she can't help being glad that her mother isn't incarcerated in the nearest NHS labyrinth, a place as gargantuan, 
impenetrable and forbidding as the Vatican, if less architecturally impressive. Terry is rarely ill. Glaswegian childhood, she insists, toughens you up. The worst she's had before was a touch of exhaustion after her first run as Wagner's Isolde. And she'd stayed positive. It was a perfect excuse to take Julie on holiday for two weeks. There have been occasional ups and downs. Terry has explained to Julie that everything, but everything, affects the voice. Aeroplanes, pollen, dairy produce, which Terry won't eat. Pregnancy, time of the month, the menopause, emotional traumas like divorce and bereavement, passive smoking, screaming matches with a difficult lover. The list is endless. A singer's voice is her musical instrument, and she mustn't take risks with its efficiency. It's a wonder that there are any...